This is an ABC podcast. Hello and welcome once again to the Friday morning sporting edition of Pacific Beats. I'm Richard Ewart and coming up, what will it take for the Flying Fijians to dispose of England in the Rugby World Cup quarterfinals? You want to take this game? It's just by your presence, what you do and how you do it and having to execute a smarter way to play. I usually say organise chaos, be organised, but when the moment comes, you create havoc. It's taken 10 years to persuade him, but finally the Dragons' Jack DeBellin is on board with the PNG Kummels. His grandmother in Papua New Guinea, and it's terrific to have him in camp. You know, he's a very professional guy, experienced, and he'll be a great addition to our side. And it might or might not be a World Cup qualifying game, but Fiji's rugby league captain is taking no chances against Samoa. We couldn't just treat this as a test match. We have to treat it as a qualifier too, because in case a qualifier doesn't come through next year, then you know they might base it on this game. So we really need to perform well. More to come from Josephine Majors, a captain of the Fiji Bullet Cooler, and more on the Pacific Rugby League Championship, or not, later in the programme. Now, it's being hailed in some quarters as the biggest match in the history of rugby in the Pacific, the showdown between the Flying Fijians and England in the World Cup quarterfinals on Monday morning. The two sides last met at the end of August in a warm-up game at Twickenham, a game which Fiji won 30-22, prompting headlines at the time that suggested England had hit rock bottom. They've certainly been less than convincing in pool play at the World Cup and they were very lucky to escape with a one-point win over Manu Samoa just last weekend. Fiji have impressed in a narrow defeat against Wales and the now famous win over the Wallabies, but they were off their game in scraping past Georgia and that pattern repeated itself in their loss to Portugal, which almost cost them their spot in the last eight. So what exactly is going on in the heads of the Fijian players? And will the sight of English jumpers fire them up again and propel them into what would be an historic semi-final encounter? For some insight, I've been speaking to Ilitambor, the man who coached Fiji on their last visit to the World Cup quarterfinals against South Africa 16 years ago. Knowing what has happened in the past, coming into the World Cup, having beaten England, having put a challenge to France, and then coming in with Wales, maybe the mindset would say, "Listen, we'll, Portugal, we'll get through this. We've beaten the Wallabies, you know." But it's 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 not that. It's just you've got to step up every game, and when you ease off, that's what happened. You know, most Portugal will just want to take a scalp, and this is the challenge. You've got to. You got to show up every day, and if you don't show up, then they throw you out. So that said, you would think that the positivity for the game against England will be high because they played them recently and they beat them in their own backyard. Now, clearly, a friendly game, if I can call it, that is very different from a quarterfinal in the World Cup. But nevertheless, the Fijian team surely will walk out on that park on Monday morning our time thinking, we can do this. Sure is. I mean, they've done it before. You know, why can't they duplicate what they did then? You know, I mean, it's it's them showing up on the day and, you know... it's, it's always wanting to play. I've always emphasized it's wanting to, it's, it's to play the perfect game. You know, there's certain things that you can't control. Uh, elements, the guy with the whistle. I mean, if, if you come in and just indicate that you want to take this game, it's just by your presence, not only your presence in what you do and how you do it and having to execute a smarter way to play. 
you know, I, I usually said an organized chaos, be organized, but then when the moment comes, you know, you create havoc in the games and, and the skill sets that you have, but play it into a smart, positive way that you would execute what you need to execute to get the outcome. You mentioned the guy with the whistle, and there's been a fair bit of refereeing controversy during this World Cup, and quite a lot of it involving the Pacific Nations, uh, Mano Samar, for example, and uh, having a try knocked off after they'd taken the conversion against England last week. I mean, do you share the views that have been expressed by some that there is unconscious bias against Tier 2 nations and perhaps the Pacific nations in particular? You're always, you're always going to see that. I mean, most of the referees would see that, you know, I mean, as a Tier 2, you would have a lesser talented player. So as a mindset, you know, otherwise talk to the referee beforehand that they are going to be less skillful than the ones that are in Tier 1. So you've already have that preempt idea that, you're more likely to have uh, penalties. You're more likely to have infringements in contact or in other areas higher than those that are in tier one. So already, yeah, I, I do share that. But those are the things that, I mean, we had it in, in uh, 2007. You've just got to come in and play the game of your life and, and, you know, not playing catch up rugby, but totally annihilate what you wanted to do and how you do it to the extent where the referee or the, or the person in the middle would look otherwise. One of the problems that uh, Fijian sides have had in World Cups over the years is, is perhaps their forward strength and their inability at times to compete with their opponents. That seems to be a problem which they've largely cured. But looking at the statistics, I'm wondering if it might be at the expense of, shall we call it, traditional Pacific flair, because Fiji have scored fewer tries than any other team in the quarterfinals, and they've conceded more. Yeah, I mean, there is a catch-22. The skill set that they have, they, they could they could run it from anywhere. But at the same time, you've got to be organized in shutting oppositions down. And that's the marrying of the both, having to have that flair, that skillful Pacific style. But at the same time, it's control. Uh, it's organized in defense and taking that opportunity. And sometimes it's a mixture of both. Here you have the mixture of the European players and the drua. Uh, and you see the totally different play sets in where they played. But coming back to the World Cup, we've got to execute a game plan that would, it's applicable, it's right. And it's not only that, but it's a smart and tactical way and to have the better outcome. How significant do you think a win could be, not just for Fijian rugby, but for rugby in the Pacific and the ambition that particularly the leading three nations, Fiji, Samoa and Tonga, have? It's massive. I mean, we had it in 2007 and it is. It shows that you've offered more competition, uh, you could see, uh, with the Pacific Islands into more international games. It only would help. I think the biggest advantage here is uh, those that have uh, the open up of Super Rugby with the Drua. Uh, as before in the past, you were always selecting from European uh, players, players that are placed uh, professional in Europe. But here there's more choices to pick from and, and, and they're playing at a higher level, which is in regards to Samoa and Tonga. If they have this the same opportunity, sure. I mean, you would have a very competitive environment here in the Pacific. Is there any doubt in your mind that, that Fiji can win this game? Do you think they will? I mean, they have the better chance to win. I mean, they've already done it. They've showed it with the caliber of players there is. It's come the hour, come with the man that this is what we want to do. This is how we're going to do it. It's the execution of the things they've got to do on that day 
to be precise, perfect, and dominate the contest in all aspects of the game. But yeah, I have high hopes in them winning, but they're going to stand up and face the challenge. And it will be uh, quite a challenge, but uh, why not? Why not a bit of history for the Flying Fijians? Uh, former coach uh, Eli Tambour there, the man who led the team the last time they made the World Cup quarterfinals. That was back in 2007, and uh, that match was played in Marseille. And the match against England will be played also in Marseille, in the very same stadiums. So let's hope the Flying Fijians have uh, better luck this time. And uh, the team has been given a financial boost this week by the Fijian cabinet. They've approved a second non-taxable incentive package of $5,000 per member of the Fiji squad, coaches and support staff too, for reaching at this stage the quarterfinals of the 2023 Rugby World Cup up for the first time in 16 years, as we mentioned, only the third time in the team's history. So there is an incentive on offer there. But boy, you look at that figure, $5,000. I mean, really, that'll probably cover the England team's sandwiches for the day, won't it? I mean, there is such a huge discrepancy between the Pacific and the rest of the world, the rugby world, that is. And I should mention, before the men go into action on Monday morning in France at 3am, Suva time, Fijiana will by that stage have taken to the field in Dubai to play Colombia in the brand new W15 competition. That match will be in Tier 3 because, of course, when Fijiana played Manasina Samoa earlier in the year, the Samoans got over the line in that game, so they're in Tier 2 of the W15 competition and their opening matches in Cape Town. In fact, I think Stellenbosch in South Africa and they'll be taking on the USA in what is Tier 2. So both Fijiana and Manasina in action over the weekend and then Monday morning, the Flying Fijians versus England. And back to the sporting front now because the inaugural Pacific Rugby League Championship is it a championship? I'm not entirely sure. We'll talk more about that later on in the programme. But anyway, whether it is or it isn't, kicks off this weekend with Australia taking on Toa Samoa in a World Cup final real match that's being played in Townsville. Meanwhile, over in Papua New Guinea, the Kummels will play Cook Islands in Port Moresby. The Cooks will be coached for the first time by former Broncos star Carmichael Hunt, who has the Cooks heritage through his mother. Apparently, he was lined up to play for the Cooks in the World Cup in 2021 until COVID got in the way. There'll also be a first match in charge for PNG's new head coach, Justin Holbrook, and a first appearance for former New South Wales State of Origin player Jack DeBellin from the Dragons. The Cornwall squad, it's a mix of NRL, Super League and PNG Hunters players, one or two Queensland Cup players in there as well. But Holbrook says some are still involved in finals over in England and they just couldn't make the trip. It's the strongest score we've got available for this game. Well, I guess ideally it would be better another week because we've still got guys playing over in the UK that we just can't get back in time. But, yeah, really happy with the squad we've been able to put together for the Cook Islands game. And there are players in the lineup who've been making quite an impact, not least the pair who are playing under Adrian Lamb at Lee in England at the moment. Um, Lachlan Lamb just been voted Player of the Year by the uh, broadcasters and rugby writers over there. And Edwin Apape has uh, had a sensational season. It's interesting to see how well these players are performing in England when being players haven't always found it easy over there. No, that's right. And that's the great sign on the development of the game and for this country. So for Lockie and Edwin to have such a great year at Lee, you know, and then they can bring that back into our Cornwall side. And then for the guys that might be playing for the Hunters still, it just shows them that that's probably another progression in their careers as well. Unfortunately for us, Edwin has got the one-week suspension, so he'll be unavailable for this first game against Cook Islands. But the great news for me as coaches to have those two play together and in such key positions as hooker and halfback, they're two most 
prominent position. So to have those two play together week in, week out, the combination will be terrific. Unfortunately, as I said, not for the first game, but for when we play the second Pacific Test against Fiji, it'd be great to have them play together. What's the story behind the selection of Jack DeBellin? There's been talk about him playing for PNG for quite some time now. I mean, I think it was 10 years ago, Adrian Lamb first suggested to Jack that he could play for the Kummels because of his, I think it was his grandmother who had a PNG nationality. I'm thinking that because you knew Jack when he was much younger and you coached him when he was younger, you've known him for a long time and maybe you've been able to say something to him that others haven't managed. Is that what changed his mind? A little bit of that. So the other week when I was up for the, the PM's 13 week and Paulie Adam said, you know, we tried in the last year to get Jack for the World Cup, but the reason he sort of said no is he didn't want to put a, a local PNG player out. But then Paulie actually said to me, he doesn't realise he'd be really helping these guys develop with his experience. So yeah, I'd have a brief history. Jack hadn't coached him directly, but I coached a lot of years ago at the Dragons when he was a player there. And yeah, I just gave him a call and explained that. I said, look, mate, we'd love to have you play. As you mentioned, yeah, with his grandmother in Papua New Guinea and then, um, I said look you're not putting anyone out of a spot you'd actually be helping the other guys around you develop their games and once he said that he said look if you coach and I'd love to play so it was a yeah, combination of all that but uh, it was terrific um, to have him in camp this week and you know he's a very professional guy experienced and he'll be a great addition to our side and it's Cook Islands first up this weekend and, and then you'll play uh, Fiji and then the two best teams from the three of you will then play each other again in in the final and I'm just wondering what you make of the format of what they're calling the Pacific Rugby League Championship but it it seems a little bit bits and pieces to me and clearly it's important that you guys get to play games that's been the the complaint for years that you don't get enough game time but maybe this format isn't quite the right one well I guess you're probably on the right track the main thing is we're playing international tests at the end of the year that's the biggest thing we've got to get right that's one thing they have got right at least everybody's playing the end of season tests and and that's what we know you know there's not enough international rugby league we all know the answer to growing the game is playing more often so they've definitely got that right in terms of the format yeah I'm not too sure for us it's one game on a week off and then Fiji again and then as you said the best two teams in the final so ideally you just rather play every week but look I don't know how that will work in the future but the good news is we've got these end of season Pacific tests on now and if the format can improve terrific but at least we know we've got games which is what we need and you will if all goes well have the opportunity to play three times in front of the PNG fans in Port Moresby definitely two games and depending on the results a final as well but would you rather be doing that or would you be rather doing something like for example what Tonga are doing going over to England and playing three test matches I mean would you like to see the PNG team go on tour in that way not yet to have the boys have the opportunity to play in front of their home country and home fans especially now that we've got guys playing in the UK that we've got to bring back over we've got a mix of guys in our role we've got a mix of Q Cup and PNG Hunters so for me I love playing here you know I've had one game here and, and love the atmosphere so I feel very I guess privileged and, and I know the boys are really excited to be playing in front of their home fans but in future years yeah I think the answer is let's go and play in Fiji play in England again I mean they had the World Cup over in England last year which they played at so I wouldn't have wanted to go back to England this year it's too far although in saying that we've got six or seven players in the UK based over there but for me short term I just want to grow the game here and that's how we're going to get the excitement in PNG by playing here. And just a word on Cook Islands. The Kummels defeated them 32-16 at the World Cup last year. It wasn't the easiest of games, though. Cook Islands made the Kummels work pretty hard. And, of course, they're out to prove a point now, aren't they? Because they're the one Pacific team that don't have automatic qualification for the next World Cup. 
Exactly. You're spot on there. The next World Cup is restricted to 10 teams and the eight teams that made the quarterfinals are automatic and Cook Islands have now got to fight for one of those last two places. So, yeah, over the next couple of years, they've really got to show their dominance. And that World Cup game last year, I, I just watched it again in the preparation for this game. And, yeah, it was a lot closer, I think. Neil Orr for 20-odd minutes and then Roderick Tyle was good enough to take a 20-metre tap burst through the line and score. So up until then, there was nothing really in it. So, you now I'm expecting a tough game, but it's really important for us, obviously, to do well. We, we want to play the final and we want to win it, especially in our home country. But, yeah, Cook Islands are definitely going to be a dangerous side and, and one we've got to watch closely. Justin Holbrook, who'll coach the, the PNG Kummels uh, for the first time, having been in charge of the Prime Minister's 13 the other week. The Kummels taking on Cook Islands in Port Moresby on Sunday. And we'll take a look at the women's tournament and talk more about exactly what kind of championship this new competition is a little later in the programme. It's a slightly confused picture. Just when you thought that Rugby League was done for another year, think again. Think again. Catch every tackle and try at the 2023 NRL Pacific Championship. Australia, New Zealand, PNG, Cook Islands, Samoa, Fiji and Tonga. The 2023 NRL Pacific Championships, showcasing some of the best players in the game. Every weekend until November 5 on ABC Radio Australia, your home of rugby league in the Pacific. And uh, holding the front page uh, for us this morning, figuratively, figuratively, I wish I hadn't said that, I nearly didn't, speaking, <laughs> Talia Olatir is uh, with me, we're going to take a look at some of the news stories around the region for this Friday morning, and um, you can't keep him down, can you, Frank Bainimarama? Like a cat with nine lives, <laughs> just keeps coming back. Um, Frank Bainu Marama yesterday was found not guilty of corruption and said he was grateful to his relatives and friends for their prayers after being found um, not guilty of trying to stop police investigations into the University of the South Pacific back in 2020. As you can imagine, there was a large crowd at the Suva Courthouse yesterday to witness the judgment. The Suva's magistrate, Saini Mao acquitted Bainu Marama of charges related to perverting the course of justice, saying that there was insufficient evidence. In their ruling, the magistrate was highly critical of the case presented and emphasised the state's failure to establish a compelling case against the former PM, particularly improving allegations that he had advised suspended police commissioner Sidaveni Gilliho to cease an ongoing investigation involving the University of the South Pacific. Mr Gilliho, who was charged with a count of abuse of office, was also found not guilty. And outside the courthouse, Mr Bainimarama thanked his legal team and acknowledged the magistrate for breaking the confusion over what he called trumped-up charges, according to Fiji Village. While the suspended Mr Gilliho said the fu- he said his future as Commissioner of Police now rests with the Constitution Officers Commission. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out. It's mm. difficult to see him being reinstated, but you know, you know, it rather depends yep. on what the rules are, doesn't mm. it? Now, uh, we've been talking a lot this week about uh, Pacific Islanders uh, caught up uh, in the violence uh, over in the Middle East as uh, Israel continues its uh, siege in Gaza. Uh, there are concerns now of a group of Tongans are in Israel. So what has happened to them? What's the problem there? That's right. Yesterday we had some good news that uh, 255 Fijians and other nationals, um, Australian, Samoans, New Zealanders included, had safely arrived back in Nandi. But now there are concerns, well, continued concerns rather, 
about a group of 50 Tongan pilgrims who are still stranded in Israel. They are reported to be safe, according to Matangi Tonga. Tonga's Ministry of Foreign Affairs says that they're working with the Tongan High Commission in London to ensure the safe and immediate departure of all Tongan nationals in Israel. Major Kiel Kaho from the Tonga High Commission in London has been dispatched to Tel Aviv. He arrived yesterday morning and his job is to monitor and facilitate the safe return of Tongan nationals. The ministry has urged Tongans in Israel to get in touch with Major Kaho through the Tongan High Commission in London or by contacting the Ministry of Foreign Affairs for assistance. Now to uh, the weather. Uh, Fiji's Met Service have released their outlook for the tropical cyclone system for, or yeah, season, the I guess season. it is. Yes, That's, so that is like. it indeed. Yes, the Met is predicting an above average tropical cyclone season between November 2023, so next month, and April 2024 in their regional specialised meteorological centre Nandi Tropical Cyclone Centre area of responsibility, which is just a really long way to say the area that they look at. After the VG Met says eight to fourteen tropical cyclones are likely. The average is around seven a season. Um, the Met also says four to six um, tropical cyclones are expected to affect the west of the dateline, which is near average, and six to nine are expected in the east of the dateline, which is an above average risk. The VG Met also found it's likely that five to seven of the tropical cyclones will be a category three or higher intensity, which is an above average risk. The peak tropical cyclone season in the area is usually between January to March. And while the um, tropical cyclone season in the region is between November and April, they are also not ruling out out of season cyclones due to the occasional forming of cyclones in October and May. So obviously people in the area know what it means to be prepared, but yes, always good to have information. It is. It doesn't look good, does it, mm. really, if the predictions turn out to be in any way accurate? Now, Indeed. the doors of the National Library in Papua New Guinea have been locked by disgruntled contractors. This has happened so often in PNG, where official offices being locked. I remember at one time, Justin Tachenko, when he was Minister for Housing, I think, operating out of the back of his car because he couldn't get into his office because they hadn't the government hadn't paid the bill. And now mm. this. Yeah, well, there were students who are due to go to exams next week studying under a tree because they went to the library and saw the doors <laughs> locked. The Post Courier is reporting that contractors have locked the door of the National Library and Archives in Port Boresby, saying that the library and Department of Treasury owe them nearly 12 million kina. Now, there's nearly 40 different contractors who say they've been waiting over a decade for payment for contracts that they were given to refurbish um, the outside of the library. David Parker is the spokesman of the group and they say they can't keep waiting like this, that during those 12 years wait that 18 contractors have died and their families are still yet to receive the payment that was due to them. Um, a rep from the National Library said that the National Executive Council had allocated the money to be paid for the contractors last year, but the delay was the Treasury Department who had not yet endorsed the cheque for 11.9 million kina. So hopefully it all gets resolved and those students and workers can get inside the library. 
it's been a cause for complaint, though, isn't there? It's been dragging on for 12 years. It's a long time. That is extraordinary. Mm. 11.9 million keener. Yeah, indeed. That, definitely, definitely need to resolve that one and get the doors open again. Uh, Talia, thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Richard. Talia Olatea there with a roundup of some of the stories making news across the Pacific on this Friday morning. To launch the 2023 Pacific Break Music Contest, the 2022 winner Danielle and singer-songwriter Nairi performed at an event in Port Moresby. This Friday on ABC Radio Australia, we'll bring you those live performances. Kick off your weekend with two very special performances by two incredibly talented Papua New Guinean women right here on ABC Radio Australia. 7pm PNG time this Friday. It'll be a good show, and uh, we continue now with uh, the morning edition of Pacific Beat and uh, our sporting Friday sporting program. And we were talking a little earlier about the men's competition and what is being called the Pacific Rugby League Championship. And uh, while the four island teams involved in that will play at least two games each, uh, the women involved in their version of the championship, they will play just once. It's three years since Fatu Samoa last took to the field and four years for Fiji Bulakura, so they've had a very long wait for what will be a brief return to the international stage. Fiji's first and so far last international match was four years ago when they thrashed the PNG Orchids 28-0. Many observers at the time suggested the Bulikula should have been invited to play in the World Cup on the back of that performance, but the organisers said it was too late to make changes, so PNG went and Fiji didn't. Uh, the Orchids went on to make the semi-finals and secure an automatic place at the next World Cup in 2026, but if Fiji and Samoa want to join them, they'll have to battle through a qualification programme, and as no one has yet decided how that process will work. The Bully Cullers captain, Josephine Majors, says they're treating this weekend's game against Fadis Samoa as if their World Cup hopes already depended on it. It's just amazing for us to be given back this opportunity at my age to still be able to lead the girls, to be able to play at this elite level. You know, just creating that pathway. So then come World Cup, if we do get into this qualifier and, and win the games, we can get into the World Cup, um, World Cup in 2027. So we can't wait uh, and, and just put us back on the map. You know, that will give inspiration to the young girls coming through, not just young, all the players that are coming through into the system in Fiji and here to go. That's something to look up to and look forward to and hopefully grow our player base in Fiji and here in Australia. It's a really interesting event, the Pacific Championships, and, and obviously it's very new. Uh, it was probably only announced a month and a half or, or two months ago. Did you expect it to be announced? Like, did you, ha- did you have any lead in time? We were got told it was going to happen um, sometime next year. We didn't realise it was this early. Um, so, but it was a good thing because we already have a few of us girls who are playing in the NRL here. So uh, we kind of give them the heads up and go, you know, just stay ready, stay prepared because all the COVID, all the changes in all the game schedules here in Australia and with the NRL that we come through is sort of move, shift a lot of things a bit. So then they have to fit into this Pacific test as well. So yeah, not much time. So to prepare, I mean, to be even announced and prepare, like you said, it's, you know, it was not all of a sudden, but it was just, you know, here's a Pacific test coming up. We need to get all the girls on board and prepare and get on and and go and play. We have been told as well there's going to be another test. The qualifier is 2024. I believe that will be in Australia. 
So we we need to be winning this one and also next year. It almost answers my next question because you guys only play the one game, whereas Australia and New Zealand, they, they play about three times. Does this game mean something in the context of a, of a greater purpose? It does mean, yes, it means a lot because everything's been happening with COVID and the shifting in schedules with NRL, NRLW, the, the men's game. We couldn't just treat this as a test match. We have to treat it as a qualifier too because in case the qualifier doesn't come through next year, then you know they might base it on this game. So we really need to perform well. And it's a great opportunity that NRL is doing this because now, you know, before you want to get into the state of origin or the Australian team, not many girls have opportunities for that. Now with Pacific Test, everyone can represent their heritage, you know, and, and it's such an amazing opportunity for everyone. And hopefully they roll this out all the time. would be great. Yeah, well, let's talk about some of the on-field stuff. You uh, you know, you've got 14 NRLW players of your own as well as seven local players. Samoa as well, very talented, led by Neil Williams Guthrie. What do you make of the side and what do you make of the match? To be honest, we are in for the toughest match because most of the girls that are coming on the, the Samoan team, they've just finished NRLW games. We've got about, we've got Tale Holmes, we've got Serenade Tokotoko, we've got Casey Staples, and then the two girls from the North Queensland Cowboys. So you pretty much just have four, but then four or five, but then you've got the nine other girls that are also playing in NRL. So there's the three of us from Rapidos, there's two from Illawarra Steelers and a few from Cronulla Sharks as well. So we've got a good mix. It will be the toughest match against Samoa. We'll just see how we prepare and I think how we prepare and get on well this week because the way we won in 2019, it speaks volume of what we do off field. You mentioned the Cowboys players a second ago, one of which is Vinalina Nakorde, who's, who's come across from the Fijiana yes. and Jura had a great first season. He excited to see her make her international debut. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. The two girls from Fijiana Joy, they went across to the the Cowboys. You know, we just can't wait. You know, and they, and they bring so much depth as well from their skill set, their experience. And you've got us girls that play in the NRL. And most of the girls that we're going to be versing in Samoa, we play with them in the NRL competition. So mm. that's a good depth that we have as well that we bring. And I think what we bring as well is, you know, the connection, the spiritual connection, the cultural connection that goes so much more. I believe it. It has so much more depth and and strength in when we take the field. Um, And we've shown that in 2019 against PNG. And it's a tough match, but um, we're looking forward to that is our goal. We want to win. Um, because we've missed that in 2019. So we're coming with intentions. We're coming with purpose. We're coming with a dream. That's the captain of the Fiji Bulikula, Josephine Majors. She'll lead her side against Fatu Samoa in Port Moresby on Sunday. She was speaking there to Kyle Evans. Well, as we've mentioned, it's being billed as the Pacific Rugby League Championship, but the format might suggest otherwise. Australia, Samoa and New Zealand will fight their own private battle for the Pacific Cup. PNG, Cook Islands and Fiji will be in a separate contest for the Pacific Bowl. And Tonga will be on the other side of the world playing three test matches against England. That's the men's setup. As for the women's competition, it appears to be a mix of random games, really, with New Zealand playing three times and Australia twice, but the Pacific teams get just one match apiece. So is this actually the big move forward the Pacific nations were seeking, or have they been dudded once again by the people who run the international game? We're joined by author and rugby league writer Patrick Skeen, someone who's passionate about the game in the Pacific, uh, to find out what he makes of it all. Patrick, good morning. Welcome to Pacific Beat. Good morning, Richard. Thanks Uh, for having me. Pleasure. And uh, Pacific Rugby League Championship, um, my personal opinion is that's a bit of an overstatement. What do you think? 
It's an overstatement, or you can look at it as building blocks for the future. Um, I think it's a mix of both because uh, we didn't have any uh, before. We've been flooded with uh, quite a bit of what appears to be ad hoc, an ad hoc competition at short notice. But interestingly, on on the positive side, Andrew Abdo, the CEO of the NRL, and and the NRL really dictates how fast uh, rugby league in the Pacific grows. He He came out yesterday and said that International Rugby League is the sleeping giant and, and will be bigger than State of Origin. I've never heard that from the executive, as you know, sacred or, uh, State of Origin is the sacred cow. So it's been thrown together. Um, as you previously pointed out, some of the, the, the women's program just looks ad hoc. It's got no finals. Um, it's thrown together. The Pacific Nations, and, and if we speak realistically, the funding for this has come uh, out of the DFAT programs, which are supposed to benefit the Pacific. So there seems to be a resource slant towards the Tier 1 nations, but dragging the Tier 1 nations into matches against Pacific teams has, has been very has been very hard. So um, there, are, there are positives uh, and there are negatives. Uh, I, I look at Tonga as an actual positive. To go from uh, 20 years ago getting beaten 74-0 by New Zealand to actually being uh, such a, a draw card that they can... Um, entice England into inviting them to host a three-test series, which was purely the preserve of the Kiwis and and Australia in times gone past that that that, that big three-test tour of England. Uh, I think that's a that's a very big positive. Uh, Australia should be there in many ways. They haven't played England over there in a three-test series forever. But Tonga has stepped into um, Australia's apathy to tour, and I think that's very positive. Uh, Tonga will return next year, and in in an ideal scenario, Samoa rises up to be the twin pillar of the Pacific Revolution and then Samoa goes on to tour England uh, next year, which is good money um, for for the Pacific nations who have been starved of their own resources and quite dependent on, on Australia. I think that there's no doubt that to, to see uh, the, the Tongan team play a three-match series over, over in England is is a big step forward, but really you would want them to be involved in a Pacific Rugby League Championship too. So, I mean, so, somehow, surely the power brokers have got to figure out a way of how they can do the two things. One shouldn't supersede the other. You're, you're absolutely right. And, this, the, and Tonga would love to tour after the Pacific Championships. They would love to go from one on to the other. I think this has been thrown together in such haste. Um, the only marketing you're really hearing is, is is team announcements. I haven't seen any any commercials. So you've got a, a you know a, a drawn down NRL um, and New Zealand Rugby League uh, if, if, who finished the season who've been thrust back into the marketing spotlight. Um, this 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 is a good thing in in, in principle um, outside some 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 design flaws and absences just for the simple fact there's going to be a dedicated window now moving forward and the, hopefully they get the efficiencies and and I don't like tier one and tier two um, never comfortable with that having the Fijians and Papua New Guineans are down in a tier two because they say to to get to get up to tier one for future years you'll have to improve your world rankings well you can't improve your rankings as Fiji unless you beat teams above you that's just a cold fact so um, hopefully there, there's some glitches in the in, in in the system that they work out but the dedicated window um, some 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 words out of head office that international rugby league is going to be a priority. Um, Samoa and New Zealand at Eden Park will be a thrilling spectacle, as will Fiji versus uh, PNG in PNG. So there's some beautiful games, um, really exciting games within this. 
but it's got teething problems. Um, and you know, I, I personally would have done it differently, uh, as would you. But we don't know all of the all of the complications. But I think overall, it's a positive thing. But we'd like to see changes. Yeah, I think I think I would agree. I think it's it's, it's positive with with a small p. They're, they're moving in the right direction. But but the women's competition, frankly, is is a little, a little bit of a shambles, isn't it? I mean, if the, yeah, the, yes, the, no. the Fijians and the Samoans get to play each other, they haven't played in for three and four years respectively, and up pop the Tongans, who I I can't remember what the last time the Tongan women played. Yet they get a gig against New Zealand. Uh, it it's it's. It, it makes very little sense as to how they've come up with this particular version for the women in particular. It's chaotic, and and it looks like there's a tournament within a tournament where some teams are playing. As Josie Major said earlier, they're just treating it as a, as a qualifier. Others are playing each other and playing more games, and and it doesn't come to the some, to, to the finale games like the men. The women have earned that right um, in rugby league. The NRLW is firing on all cylinders. This is the international showcase of a lot of NRLW stars, and I think it looks like it's been tacked on as an after afterthought, serving multiple masters. And I think they really have to do better there. One thing that that does seem to have emerged from the build-up to this competition, and this, of course, has been happening over the last year, two years, is is the number of players who are putting their hands up to play for their countries of origin or countries of heritage. That, that those numbers are increasing, and once they've done it, they seem quite, except in one or two cases, quite determined to stay. There's one notable uh, person who swapped back to Australia from Samoa, Fido, who will be playing in this tournament, but but others very dedicated to the Pacific cause. Yes, you've got Murray Talangi who pulled out of the Australian um, team to play for Samoa going the other way. I think what we're seeing in in those two examples is going to be happening uh, more seriously because now that Samoa and Tonga um, are are effectively being considered as Tier 1 nations, even though they haven't been officially classified um, as such, they're they're being considered. So they're not they're not getting beaten all the time and, and and we saw in the last world cup the cultural pull is just so strong that Fa'a Samoa and Anka Fakatonga those two cultural systems are still so strong and they reach into those suburbs of Australia and they reach into the the living rooms and the hearts and minds of the parents and the kids and uh, the education piece has to be that if they do declare for Samoa they're not being ungrateful to Australia they're simply wanting to make their grandparents happy. And I, I'm sure you remember when uh, Andrew Fafita uh, told his grandfather that he was playing for Samoa and his grandfather just broke down in tears. Um, you know, we're talking people that want to make, you know, we're talking a serious collectivist society where there's huge respect for elders. And these young kids will do anything to make their parents happy. It's almost like they're repaying them for coming down on their migration journeys. So it's that um, shifting nature of dual identity in the 21st century that we're seeing played out in rugby league. And uh, let's end on a positive note. Let's look at the first game in the men's competition, the Pacific Cup, as they're calling it, within the Pacific Championship. The Kangaroos against Toa Samoa, a rerun of the World Cup final, which the Kangaroos won relatively comfortably last year. Can Toa Samoa turn it around, do you think? I think they've got six of the Panthers NRL players. They, they, Australia can't really claim to any... Um, Australia's got a lot of new players again. They've put, they've put in their team, a lot of debutantes. So they, like Samoa, are trying to craft their combination. So if Samoa were to upset Australia, I would say this would be a big opportunity. Stephen Crichton stepping up at 5'8 to replace the injured 
Jerome Luai. You've got Ben Gardner, who is the reserve grade coach of Penrith, has been um, has been elevated to Samoa's head coach. So he understands the Penrith players and certainly understands how to get the best out of Polynesian players. So you've got a culturally competent coach in control. Um, sadly, it's up in Townsville. There's only about 500 Samoans in, in Townsville. I don't know how many will make the trek. I'd love to have seen that game in Sydney and we would have seen a huge turnout. Um, or, or even or, or, or even Brisbane. So the, the crowd, I imagine, will be quite uh, pro-Australia and weighted towards towards the Kangaroos. Maybe that's why they, they put it up there. But I think that is an absolutely exciting spectacle to see um, how Samoa will go against Australia on in basically home soil in Australia. In England's a different set of playing conditions. So it, it, will, it will be very interesting to see. But a lot of people are tipping this, this, is, this is Samoa's time. Well, we shall see. Uh, Ten past eight, local time. That game kicks off uh, tomorrow night and uh, we'll see how the rest of the championship unfolds and what we learn from it when it's all over. Patrick, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the programme. We appreciate your time. My pleasure, Richard. Patrick Skeen there, uh, rugby league author and uh, writer and uh, very passionate about the game in the Pacific and um, interesting to get his take on that uh, rugby championship, rugby league championship. Seems to me to be a slightly... Something of a misnomer, shall we say. But you've got to start somewhere. So let's look at it as a step forward and that, that finally over the next couple of years, the Pacific nations will get the matches they've been craving for so long. You're with Pacific Beats here on ABC Radio Australia. And we're going to go back to where we started, as it were, with uh, the big match coming up Monday morning, 3 a.m. Suva time, the Flying Fijians taking on England in the Rugby World Cup quarterfinals. So they beat them in a game prior to the tournament. Can they do it again and make it through to the semis? We're going to get to flavour now of how the hype is building over there in Fiji and his thoughts on the game too from a former sports commentator, former FRU board member and man of many hats, also publisher of the Devovo Rugby online magazine. Colden Kamea joins us live. Colden, good morning to you. Bula, Bula, Richard, how are you? Yeah, going well. Looking forward to this game. Um, I, I mean, it's going to be a cracker one way or another, isn't it? But, but first of all, I mean, tell me, what is life like in Fiji at the moment? Is anybody talking about anything else other than this game? <laughs> it's, the, it's the only only topic, uh, Richard. Everyone's talking about the game. People from outlying villages in remote areas have decamped to their relatives and families here in the cities for better television reception. And the sales of uh, n- new televisions, 85-inch screens, are, have gone through the roof for $3,500. So it's the biggest seller in town. It, it sounds like what happens in Port Moresby the night after State of Origin, but that's usually because people go out to repair the TVs that they broke when their side <laughs> lost. But co- concentrating on the Flying Fijians and this particular game, I mean, it's been billed as the biggest match ever for, for rugby in the Pacific. Now, of course, the Flying Fijians have been in the quarterfinals before, but do you think this time maybe it's different this time they can make that step forward into the semis? Yeah, it's going to be tough, Richard. It's going to be tough. You know, the Englishmen are still smarting from that loss at Twickenham uh, a month ago. So they're going to come out with all guns blazing. There's a report out today that they had a fight in training, uh, the last training session involving the captain, Owen Farrell. So there's a lot, obviously a lot of tension there. Um, it's going to be a hard, a hard game, but uh, I'm tipping Fiji to win. 
You mentioned um, rumblings in the England camp. I mean, I've seen reports on social media that there may be a bit of disquiet in in the Fijian camp as well. And of, of course, they've had to deal with a lot of sadness with, uh, of course, uh, Tuisova's son uh, dying back in Fiji while he's over there playing in the World Cup. And now we hear one of the players lost their father during the week. I mean, there's a lot of emotion flying around here, isn't there? Yes, absolutely. All in the mix. Uh, Sam Matavesi's father, Sireli Matavesi, also played for Fiji uh, back in the 80s. And uh, he toured, interesting, um, he toured uh, South Africa in the apartheid era, era sorry, with uh, the barbarians, the South Pacific barbarians, which former All Black Arthur Jennings organized. And then he went uh, with a Fiji team uh, on a tour of England and then went back and uh, settled in Cornwall and, uh, you know, had the boys. And uh, his son, Sam Matavesi, is with that Fiji team today. Very sad passing. Could, though, these sort of events perhaps galvanise a team, which, after all, in, in common with their Pacific brothers from, from Samoa and Tonga, I mean, they, they built around spirituality. The Flying Fijians have their own spiritual advisor, who happens to be their former, one of their former assistant coaches as well, so foot in both camps there as well. I mean, might this just give them that extra incentive, that extra drive to, to go out there and, and perform for for? to overcome this sadness, if you like, by raising people's spirits on the field? Yes, absolutely, Richard. It can. It can also backfire, you know, as you as you say, a lot of emotion. Uh, and I'm sure Samuel Matavesi is uh, working through that with the um, with the assistant of, uh, assistance of the Talatala, the pastor with the team, a uh, very integral part. I think we're probably uh, the only team with a, with a uh, position for that uh, spiritual um, you know, enlightenment, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a key part of the the whole Fiji team, the Fiji camp, the Fiji culture. And so um, I'm sure they're, they're working on it together with uh, Tui Sova, who had his son pass away only a couple of weeks ago. And uh, the game bef- uh, with uh, before Georgia, I think it was. So, yeah, it could uh, certainly work for Fiji and it could also uh, backfire. But, um, you know, time will tell and we'll see that on, on Monday morning. How fearful are you about the performance of the officials? Oh, not. I think this referee, we've drawn a good referee in uh, Monsieur Reynal, uh, one of the two French referees. I prefer them because they, when you watch them, they tend to uh, let the game flow a bit more, which should be in Fiji's favour. I just hope, uh, Richard, that Fiji plays the game more, plays the ball more, plays the game, uh, the ball, uh, plays rugby off the ground rather than taking it to the uh, hit up and tackle ball situation. You know, interestingly, when you look at the stats of the all the pool games leading up into the, these uh, quarterfinals, PG has had the least line breaks, the most running meters, but the least line breaks. So we're just going up and hitting the tackle. The uh, the opposition are coming up very fast on our backs, knowing that, you know, if you give Tui Silva five meters, he's going to be doubly hard to stop. So they're coming up very fast on him at uh, inside center. Same with Nayada Levu at outside centre, so um, it's going to be interesting. And so we're we're playing this game where we're you know bringing it up and taking it back into the forwards, uh, the inside backs, where I think they need to just play the ball on their feet, let it uh, swing out wide, and with this French referee, um, I think it'll be uh, better for Fiji. So fingers crossed, the flying Fijians will, will fly, which is what we'd all like to see well, them do. Yes, they will take off and uh, and really give the ball some air. And they've got nothing to lose, Richard. Um, you know, quarterfinals, great achievement. The only Pacific Island team to get this far. 
Uh, if they play a dour, forward-dominated game again, as they have against Portugal and uh, Georgia and, uh, you know, Wales and Australia, to be fair, um, you know, England are going to be ex uh, expecting that. That's how we beat England. Great um, that the forwards, um, you know, made a mark in that game. But I think the English uh, team is, you know, everyone's just as tired. This is the fifth week of rugby in the World Cup. Um, everyone's fatigued. Players are carrying niggling injuries all around. So whatever energy we've got left in it, if we can let it loose and run the ball, I think it'll uh, be better for Fiji on the day. We'll look forward to it on uh, Monday morning. Again, kicks off at 3am, Masuva time. Colden, thank you so much indeed for your time this morning. That's Colden Kamea, publisher of Tavovo Rugby Online magazine and a stalwart of both Rugby Union and Rugby League over many years in Fiji. Good luck to the Flying Fijians. Big soccer match tomorrow as well. New Caledonia against the Solomon Islands. Whoever wins that wins the MSG Prime Minister's Cup. So plenty of sporting action over the weekend to keep you entertained. I'm Richard Ewart. Thanks for your company.